I personally am so grateful that we have a St. Luke evangelist who wrote his gospel because I think we would be very impoverished if we didn't have the stories that he gave us that only he gives us, like the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, and this story of Zacchaeus. Um, and particularly this story, Zacchaeus, I think it reads so powerfully to us that, that again, I would be very impoverished without it. And what makes it even richer is the lead-up to it today with the first two readings, which is often the case. We have the wisdom literature, and wisdom in the Bible is uh, equated with God. It's God's voice. It's God's knowledge. It's, it's kind of an amorphous thing, this wisdom. And in this particular passage, first wisdom is speaking to the world. It starts out in the first two lines saying, you know, when we look at ourselves, we realize we're like one grain of sand in the whole world. Each one of us, we're like a drop, just a single drop, a dewdrop. And then wisdom turns to God and starts addressing God and says, but to you, uh, all of our praise and glory, because you have rescued us, you have saved us from sin, you've, you've graced us into new life. And it goes on and on explaining how God and his power has rescued us and carries us. And then we go into the second reading, and similarly, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says to them, it's the power of God's grace that has saved us. He's led us to the freedom of, of repenting for our sins and finding the salvation. But then he says something very interesting, because Paul, even Luke, but Paul was a strong believer that God... Uh, that Jesus was going to come any day and take the world up to the Father, the Segunda Venida, the second coming. And when the second coming of Jesus would be happening, what would happen is that all of the world would what, be destroyed or transformed or, or raised up and taken into the heavens, and we would be with our God forever. But it didn't come. And so here we are 2,000 years later without that Segunda Venida happening. However, he says to the Thessalonians today, at the end of the passage, he says, don't be alarmed. If people start coming around saying it's coming now or it's going to happen this way or, or be careful, uh, don't let yourself be alarmed. Just wait patiently for this coming of the Lord and stay prepared. Stay prepared. So in that context, we have the story of Zacchaeus. And um, again, it's, it's a wonderful story. Now, there are some background things about it that are real important. For example, um, we hear at the very beginning that Zacchaeus was uh, a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector in charge of the tax collectors, and also a very wealthy man. Um, you have to understand that tax collectors were hated, hated by the Jews, because they were Jews working for the Romans. They were collecting taxes for the enemy, and so they would take the tax money that they collected, send it to Rome, uh, and then they would have the military backing them up so nobody would mess with them. But the way that they became extra rich, I mean, obviously, was they had to skim off the top. So I'll use, for example, Noel. Uh, Noel, this year, is supposed to pay $50 in taxes to the Romans, okay? We're taking you back 2,000 years, okay? And um, so I'm the chief tax collectors at Caius, and I say, Noel, I'll be coming by this week to collect your $62. And you say, what? 
It should be $50. It'll be $62. And where do you think the extra $12 went? To big Zacchaeus. Do that enough and you get very, very, very wealthy. So not only was, he hated, was I hated for collecting the taxes, but also for charging more and then skimming off the top and getting rich. The Jews looked at their fellow Jews, the tax collectors said, you're pigs, you're pigs. You're sinners, you're untouchable, we want nothing to do with you. And there we have Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus also, uh, it says he was a short man, he was a little runt. And uh, one of the things about short people is that they're often kindly given a front space. You know, for example, sometimes we'll have a picture taken of 20 people up here in the sanctuary. Father, stand up here and gather people around. And, and if, if a short person is standing like behind me, they'll say, no, you come up in the front because the short people need to be where they can be seen. And we, I think we're pretty kind to short people. We do that, but not to Zacchaeus. He was trying, he just wanted to see Jesus because he must have heard about Jesus. He must have heard he was a great healer or teacher or something. And he was curious, I think. And so here this little short runt tries to get up close and these people just lock their arms. Keep him out, keep him out. They didn't want to let him in. So very practically speaking, he went and climbed a tree. Now, we have an expression, it's really rude. Um, uh, I'll pick on Michael now, okay? This is what, so Michael starts bugging me and I'm getting tired of him, so I say, go climb a tree. Get out of here. Go climb a tree. Now, I don't know if Zacchaeus is the one who caused that line to be taken. I looked all over in the internet yesterday, couldn't find it, the origin. But it might be, because he climbed a tree because they wouldn't let him through. And he was not going to be impeded from seeing this Jesus pass by. But then the story gets really good. So, Jesus is walking along. He was just going to pass through the town, but something, this is what happened, the something that changed everything. He's going along, he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree. Why he knows his name, I don't know, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. Now, that doesn't sound very remarkable, but let me tell you, think of yourself. Have you ever sat across the table from somebody that you didn't care for? a relative that really hurt you, a sister-in-law that really hurt your feelings and you haven't talked to for two years. It's very uncomfortable to sit across the table from somebody like that. Uh, you just, you get, it's, a, it's a perfect reason to have indigestion. You're sitting across from somebody you don't want to even see, let alone speak to, let alone share a meal. Or, let's say down the block, four houses down from here, we all live on this street, Four houses down from here, everybody on this block knows is the worst gang member that we've ever seen. There's rumor he killed 10 people, and we can't stand him. We're scared to death of him. We don't want our kids around him. And there he is. And so would you knock at his door and say, hello, I'd love to have dinner with you. Can I come in? I don't think so. I don't think so. Just wouldn't happen. But that's what Jesus does. This is a story of love and hate. Everybody hates the case, but not Jesus. Jesus believed, believed in the power of love, that love could transform. So he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I must stay in your house today. And then things really get exciting because the whole town starts murmuring. And this is typical in the scriptures. Every time they didn't like something, Jesus did. And there's two kinds of murmuring. There's the, the kind that you can't really hear what people are saying. 
But you know something awful is being said. And then there's the, the one loud mouth that says, look, he's going to eat with a sinner today. And that person takes the big voice and lets everybody know what's going on. So, something most remarkable happens right at this moment. And, and it could only be explained, I think, by love conquering hate. This whole town hated, hated him. But Jesus didn't. Jesus loved Zacchaeus, loved him into some new life. And he was immediately changed. Like Kairos likes to say metanoia. This was total metanoia, total conversion. And he kind of saves Jesus' face too by, by, by making this conversion that he's feeling, made it be known. And this is what he says publicly so that he could be held to accounting. He says publicly, Behold, today I will give half of my belongings to the poor. Now, if he had said 10%, I'd be impressed. Could you imagine giving up 10% of your property or, or your, of all your money, your bank account? If he had said 20, I'd be blown out of the water. But he said 50%. Could you imagine going to the bank today, taking 50% of all of your assets and giving it to the poor? But then he doesn't stop there. Then he says to the crowd who hates him, and who he has cheated left and right for maybe years, and he says, any of you that I have defrauded or cheated, I will pay you back four times. I don't know where he got all his money or, or if he was going to be left with any money, but that's quite a conversion. That's total change of heart and life. And then Jesus wraps it all up, and he says this, you too... This man, too, is a son of Abraham. This fellow Jew of yours, he, too, is a son of Abraham like you. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to save what was lost. To save what was lost. Now, when we read the Scriptures, we're reading something written about 2,000 years ago, whatever's on that page, and um, we don't really know if it happened exactly as it said, if it's quoting it perfectly. It, it doesn't matter, but that's what we're given. So we deal with that text. And it's very clear what the story is saying. But then something more is supposed to happen for us. 2,000 years later, we listen to this Word of God, we read this Word of God, and we are supposed to have an encounter with the Word. The Word is supposed to challenge our hearts. I like to think of it like it's a mirror, the Word of God, and we look into it and we see our reflection through the Word. So what might this Word ask of us? Have you ever been up a tree, a tree uh, filled with sin, untouchable, people not liking you, maybe not liking yourself, myself? And could you imagine when we were in our worst spot, Let's say we're angry at God because somebody dear to us has died or, or maybe you were living okay and you lost everything and you're living on the street and you're angry at God. How could you, God? I hate you, God. I will never be faithful to you. Right there, you're in the tree. And here comes Jesus and he doesn't say, well, clean up your act and maybe I'll love you. I'd love to come by, but no, no, you're too sinful. Right there. The most hated man in the town, probably, and Jesus loves him. 
Jesus enters into intimacy with him. He shares a meal with him. He invites himself to be with this man. Could you imagine or do you believe that that is the way it is with Jesus and ourselves? I do. And it's taken me, I think, a long time as a priest preaching for years to finally just say, for God's sake, believe it, Perry, when it says God is love. He doesn't love. It doesn't just love or he will love. He is love. And if we finally end up believing that, we can never be the same. That love of God has to transform. And it has to take us out of the tree and, and melt the frozenness that's in us. And when that happens, everything changes. So today, we hear this wondrous story of love and hate. Love and hate. But then we hear this story of of a love that conquers hate. And we are led to believe that this is what our God, this is what Jesus does to us and through us and for us and with us. He comes to save what was lost. This is the story of Zacchaeus. This is our story too.